James 1, verses 2 through 8. Verse 2 says, James writing, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for the epistle of James, the letter of James. God, thank you for inspiring it by your Spirit so that we could read it today in 2019. We could enjoy it as food for our souls, as instruction for our lives. And that's what we're here for, God. We're not here right now to listen to Andrew talk through a microphone. We're here because we believe that you have something to say to us. and We don't want to miss it. So we ask first, Holy Spirit, speak. I pray, God, that you would speak through me, please. Do what I can. And ultimately, Lord, would you give every person in this room an ear to hear what your spirit is whispering to them. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, this morning, as we break into the book of James, looking there, we just read those verses 2 through 8. I want to preach from the topic this morning, when faith fails. When faith fails. My iPad's failing right now. Hold on. Jeff, could you click that for me, buddy? We're good. Now, this is just some ironic failure. It's not even fails. It's falls. This is just going great today, okay? All right. When faith falls. That's better. (laughs) You might have to cross that out in your notes. Uh, Maybe when faith fails is better. I don't know. But I want to preach from when faith falls. When it falls. When it falls. Don't you see James talking about that here? He's talking about falling into various trials. When you fall into various trials, I love this about James. I love the way that James doesn't beat around the bush. You know, a lot of times Paul in his letters, he'll start out by spending about a chapter comforting his people. You're doing awesome. I've heard about how good you are. Your faith, hope, and love is just resonating throughout the world. You're a butterfly soar. Like, that's how a lot of times Paul will introduce his letters. But I love this about James. And we all have a friend like this, right? Someone who doesn't, it's, it's kind of like a blessing and a curse at the same time. They just speak their mind. Like, I don't have time for small talk, okay? So James, his introduction is literally, and at the end of verse one, it's one word. It's greetings. Hey, James. You got anything encouraging to say, you know, affirm your apostleship, you know, tell us how good we're doing. He's like, no, okay, here we go. Like, he just gets right into business. Um, and I love this about him because what he does with that is not just the tone and the speed in which he gets right to work here, but the topic that he goes right for. James knows, man, that faith is more than how you walk with God. Faith, though it is involving love and it involves works, it involves charity, it involves climbing these great heights of faith in your relationship with God. If you live long enough, you come to know that a major component of faith is when it falls. When life falls apart. 
when trials come. This is real life. Like we could spend all day long up here singing kumbaya, but at the end of the day, what we are all here for is going, God, how do I get through what I'm going to walk through? God, how do I go through my journey of faith when I'm falling? When I'm falling. And so he introduces this, this phrase in the beginning. Jeff, you want to click that there? It's It's when you fall into various trials. That's what he starts with. This is the context that he begins with. Uh, You ever been in a circumstance like this? You ever fallen into various trials? Even by introducing this, James gives us a few insights into the nature of trial, into the nature of hardship. I think the first thing that's very insightful is just the word when. When you fall into various trials. What James is starting by saying is that, uh, you know, it's inevitable. He doesn't say if you fall into a trial, He's bracing us for an impact that we're going to experience in life. It's this expectation, and we've talked about this a bit before, but I think it's First Peter that's up there that says, you know, don't think it's strange. Don't be surprised at your fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We, we understand this as a Christian. A couple uh, months ago, I brought Russ up here as an illustration, and I rammed my shoulder into him without him expecting. You guys remember this? And he toppled over the first time. I was pretty proud of myself because Russ is like twice my size. He could totally beat me up. But the second time when Russ was expecting it, he stood his ground and I flew that way. He repelled me like a trampoline. Um, But we're talking about expecting the inevitable. He says, when you fall. Now, another thing about the nature of trial he shows us is he tells us when you fall into various trials. We see that there. Fall. Now, some translations say when you meet trials, when you encounter trials trials, but the word fall there, I like the way the New King James translates it. It's actually the most true to the Greek language. In the Greek, the word fall there literally means to be suddenly plunged headlong, to suddenly fall over, to suddenly step into a trap. It's, it's kind of like, you, you know, um, the classics like Indiana Jones, all these different movies that have those rope bridges, and there's that one step. Every, every adventure movie has that rope bridge in it. It's probably the same one in Hollywood, right? But it's that step. Life is not like walking across the Golden Gate Bridge. Life and trials a lot more like a step that just breaks. You, you fall. You plunge. The, the idea is that though it's expected when you have trial, it, it doesn't change the fact. As much as right now we expect that there's going to be hard things in life, when you fall into trial, you feel it like you didn't see it coming. It's what happens with trial. There's a feeling to it. Um, I think that's really helpful for us. I mean, because, you know, for all of us who have ex- experienced this before, you're never planning for it. It's not like you could, you know, we got 2019, we got our goals, and we're, we're scheduling out our year. And it's like, okay, on March 18th, 2019, I'm going to get pulled over. All right? Or on March 25th, um, I'm going to lose a loved one. Or I'm going to get a diagnosis. Or I'm going to lose my job. Right? It's not step by step, just the nature in which trial comes. It's like just falling. I love the honesty that James has given us. This is helping us to understand, man, that's trial. It's a fall. In fact, in the original language, there's two word pictures that this Greek word was used for. One, this, I thought this was so interesting, it speaks of a ship that runs um, into a sandbar, like running aground, like, whoa, I didn't, that, that's not what I expected. And another language is that of suddenly being swarmed by a gang. Ever felt jumped by your trial? Like again, like all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're in this. You're like, how did I get here? You fall. You fall into various trials. Trials have a way to do that. I think the point that it's making here is is kind of how trials can disorient us suddenly. 
and I think another insight here is not just the when, not just how trials hit us, when and how is the fall, but um, what kind of trials. I like that he says this, various trials. And this is interesting, too. I'm not a Greek scholar. I just have a really good Bible software program just, you know, whipping out all these Greek words in the Greek, all right? Um, but in the Greek, when I look this up, it's interesting. This word various, it comes from, the, from what you would describe with a, a leopard with different kinds of spots. So trials are the same way. What, what James is saying is that trials are coming. They're inevitable. It feels like you're falling suddenly when you hit a trial, and they come in many different shapes and sizes. James is talking about the variety of trial, which I think is important for us to understand this. Like, I think sometimes what we do is we diminish our trial compared to other people's trials. We're like, God doesn't really care about my trial because the intensity is not as great as their trial. Can I tell you something? All trial and suffering is the consequence of sin and it grieves God's heart. No matter what you're walking through, a trial is a trial. And so don't undermine and don't numb yourself to the pain of what you're walking through because you think in your mind, you know, there's starving children in Africa. This is, what, this is what I hear all the time. Like, don't complain about that. You don't have it that Bad, but if Jesus went to the cross for it, it's worth feeling. It's worth pressing into. There's various kinds of trials. There just is. We gotta be really careful not to act that way in the church. You know what I mean? Like when someone comes and they need prayer for this thing, you're like, oh my gosh, if they knew what I was going through and they want prayer for that. Man, that's not your trial. We have our own trials, amen? It's hard. You got to steward your trial. Stop worrying so much about everybody else. Love people in their trial with the compassion of Jesus. But no, there's various trials. And sometimes I think this word various, it could also be understood, right? It's not just the variety of trials, but how about the quantity of trials? Sometimes it's not just you fall into trial. Sometimes you fall into various trials. You ever had that, like the domino effect experience? Like where, just like one after another after another. When faith falls, when faith falls. What James is going to help us with is he's going to help us think about this in a, um, in a perspective and with a perspective from heaven. He's going to allow us to think about what we walk through with a certain mindset. And it's, at times it's kind of confusing. Like the first way he starts, look at verse 2, we just looked at it. He says, in light of faith falling, he says, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, here's what I want you to do. Count it all joy. Is that a misread? Is that, the, is that a scholarly error? What's the original Greek word there? Well, you don't want to know because it's actually worse. Count it all joy. This literally means consider it an occasion to rejoice. When trials of various kinds not just come your way, but when you fall into them. Count it all joy. This is an interesting idea. Um, rejoice over and in your trial. What's going on here? Let me give a little bit more backdrop here. Uh, I like what James is doing here. In, in fact, in the original language, James, he's using a play on words. Check this out. You see right before verse 2, he says greetings. Well, the word greetings there is the same Greek root as the word joy. James is doing this on purpose. He's literally telling the people, the, the, the people of God here, that as they experience their trials, they need to count it as a reason to be like, hey, trial, greetings. That's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying this. He's going, greetings. Speaking of greetings, when you go through trials, give them your greetings. 
Tell them what's up. I thought of the, the picture of like when, when somebody calls you and you don't really want to answer it. But imagine, and here's the visual, right? Various trials are calling, okay? Now, what do we do when that happens? Not, not many of us go, yay, can't wait to push green. For most of us, some of you, you really got those good custom messages response. Good for you. I got like the classic, sorry, I can't talk right now, or I'll call you later, okay? Some of you are like, hello, Andrew, I'm in a meeting right now. You know, it's like pretty awesome, all right? Uh, you got the accept or decline. Now, for most of us, this is counterintuitive. What is James talking about? How, how am I, like, and right now, it, and let's be honest, it almost seems insensitive. Like, James, have you had a trial before? Have you received this call before? Because, James, I think if you have, you wouldn't be rejoicing. You would be feeling what I'm feeling. Now, let's explore this a little bit more to understand what James is saying. The next verse tells us that we can count it all joy. Notice verse 2, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We count it all joy, knowing. So the first point is this, that James is talking first about a joy. There's a joy in trial that comes from knowing something. A joy that comes from knowing. James is, is talking about a perspective that sees my trial through a lens of heaven that allows me to look at what I'm going through, and there's this hope that he's talking about. This hope that knows something, that knows that God is up to something. Now, I want to say this. What James is not saying is that, is that uh, you know, this is all we know about trial. That's not what he's saying. This is all we know. All we know is, and I've heard that before. Like, someone comes to you, and they're like, listen, I'm going through a really hard time. This, this is, and they're like, good things are going to come out of it, bro. God works all things together for the good. Chin up. Have faith. And it's like, uh, thanks? Right? Like, isn't there a verse in Romans that says, like, weep with those who weep? You know, it's 1 first, uh, first Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, verse 6, where Peter says that, a very similar scripture, but he adds this. He says, you've been grieved by various trials. The idea of counting it all joy when you go through a trial because of what you know is not saying ignore what you feel about the pain of what you're walking through and pretend like everything's fine. Aren't you thankful that God gives us the permission to feel? The permission to actually be grieved by what grieves him? This isn't saying when you walk through your trial, count it all joy and act like you don't know that this hurts really bad right now. No. We know that about trial. That's, that's what makes it hard to read a verse like this. We know that, especially that sudden fall, we know that it, it, it hurts. We weren't created for it. We're going to the place where there's no graves. We're going to a place where there is no more sin or suffering or trial. That's our hope. Jesus is bringing us there by bearing trial. But here on earth, we're foreigners. All of us. This is not the Garden of Eden. This is not what we were created for. And so by, by James saying this, let's get this in proper context. He's not saying be numb to the hardship you're going through. Uh, like, aren't you thankful even Jesus did this, right? Like Jesus, when he found out that his best friend Lazarus was dead, you think Jesus knew that he was about to go raise that homeboy? Yeah, he knew what was about to happen. La Lazarus was about to come forth. And come out with his, he was going to raise him from the dead. But one of the most insightful scriptures in all of the Bible, which is the first one that I ever memorized as a kid, tells us Jesus wept. 
and if we're Christians, we're, we're going to look like Jesus. So when tragedy happens, when heartbreak happens, we need more Christians who don't just provide the easy Bible verse answers, but let's be like Jesus and weep over pain. Let's be like Jesus and feel with people what they're feeling. This is Jesus. So when he's going through what he's going through, this is, I think, what we can do. We kind of escape into truth. Like, okay, this is what's true. Okay, But Jesus, even on the cross, man, he's not up there going, you're going to work this together for good to save the nations. He's given us an example. The Bible says he was an example for how to suffer. Did you know that? Hebrews says that. And the way that he went through it was not by just spouting out all the Bible answers, but it was by saying things. Sometimes this is the greatest thing that you can pray. Why? God, why? I mean, really, God, I, why, Lord? And that's where God meets you. Not in some surface level quoting of verse. Now, we got to understand, this is not what James is leading us to do. That kind of, no. So we understand this, that this isn't all we know about trial. It's not like we just know that good comes out of it. We're free to know the pain that trial causes. But the good news that Jesus provides is that that pain is not all we have to know. There's more to know. We could say this way, there's more to the story. And so James is saying, as you're walking through what you're walking through, you're walking through your pain, you're walking through this sudden fall, you didn't see it coming, it's hurting, you're questioning God why, he says, in the midst of that, add to your suffering this knowledge. Know this, know this, that even in your worst of times, God is able to produce something amazing. Only God can do that. I love that word, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What a hopeful word for suffering, produces. It speaks of life. It speaks of God's ability to bring, to bring light out of darkness, to bring life out of death. Only God is able to produce such things. We can know this. And listen, it's this knowledge that gives us a strange joy, right? Like, so we're walking through our trial. It's hell on earth. It's extremely difficult. We're asking God why. And then James presents this way. There is this joy. You can experience joy, not necessarily happiness. It's been said happiness is based on happenings, not happiness. We're not talking about circumstantial orientation. We're talking about a, a, a fruit of the spirit a fruit of a relationship with God that in the Old Testament, it was, it was in the form of strength, right? There's a strength, there's an option in your trial that, that gives you this certain strength to walk through what you're walking through in such a way that people go, how are you still walking? And you say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Where does that joy come from? It comes from knowing that as dark as these things are that I'm going through, I know that God is doing something. I know that even he is able to produce something out of this. That's the angle. That's the perspective. I think it's 2 Corinthians 4. Jeff, I, I'm, I'm kind of going from memory here, so hopefully these are the, yeah, good, we have the slide up there. Um, <laughs> kind of threw these together this morning, so I'm not really sure we'll end up on the screen or we'll just come from me quoting, but 2 Corinthians 4 tells us, right, that this light affliction, which is but for a moment, moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Can we just rest in that? Can we just try to believe this, God? Would you give us hearts to trust this? Lord, would you produce within even our church community, just even right now, as we just open ourselves up to you, that God, when we're walking through such difficulty and hardship, God, thank you that you let us feel what you feel, but God, help us to see what you see.
Give us faith to trust that even in this, God, you're producing something that gives us joy. Amen? That's what he's talking about. Now, that's the first foundation, that there is a joy that comes from knowing. What a great encouragement. Now, um, what we know here is that this trial that God, we talk about that God is able to use, it produces something specific. Here's a specific thing that if you have suffered before, if you've run a marathon before, you know that pain and hardship, it produces specifically, verse 3, the New King James says, patience. Produces patience. Some translations probably uh, interpret this better by saying continuance or endurance. Um, one commentator said is that this patience here, it's not the thing that helps you wait in the doctor's office, but it's the thing that helps you finish a marathon. Different kinds of patience, right? There's passive patience, where it's like I'm reading a highlights magazine and circling the hidden images. No, we don't do it. We're on our phones now is what we do, right? But waiting, my turn. Here I am at the DMV, a.k.a. purgatory, right? No, I'm just kidding. I don't believe in purgatory. Okay. Um, for the record of the podcast at Souls Church, we do not believe in purgatory. Okay. That's, a, you know, that's kind of like a passive way. This is, not, this is not saying that, you know, if you go through a trial, all of a sudden when you go to the grocery store, you'll become the most patient person in the world. Just wait. No, this is talking about a certain attribute that God, you know, I don't know why. I, th- I think when we get to heaven, we'll see why. But it seems like what God is most, cons- in our life, I don't know about you, but for me, I am most concerned with God giving me understanding. And as Americans, we, I, we are... Um, our greatest value is, is, is individualism and comfort. So I want to be, I want to like, I want to escape with Netflix. I can escape my pain and enter someone else's world. And, but what's hard about that is, is uh, God. And it seems that God's greatest concern for our lives sometimes is not resolution from our circumstances, but it's this thing called endurance. That we, we'll ask God when he gets there, but God seems to be extremely concerned with producing endurance in his people. Not shortcuts, but the ability, and it's interesting, this word patience in the Greek, it means, literally means to stay under. To, to stay in a spot as hard as it gets. Because doesn't trial kind of make you want to kind of just escape, right? I wanna, but it's this, in your relationship with God, what God is trying to produce is your ability to endure. He's producing it in you. So, so that's what God is able to do. And you come out on the other end a different person. So it's been said, right? These setbacks, they become setups to produce what God wanted to do in my life. Now, here's the next point that James lets us know about. This is huge, okay? He says, but, you always got to pay attention. That's a big but right there. Verse 4 says, sorry. Verse 4 says, but, look at this, let patience let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So he presents this doctrinal reality that we're all to ascend to because we need to have hope in our time of suffering, right? So we need to be able to see what he says in verse 2 and 3. I got to see that. I got to see that. When I'm walking through this hell on earth, I got to see that even in this, God is able to produce something, and he's producing endurance in me. But James is saying, knowing about this isn't enough. Knowing the scriptures are not enough. He'll talk a lot about this. Knowing what's true and actually submitting to what's true are two different things. So he says, here's what you got to do. You got to let 
patience have its perfect work. Knowing that God is trying to produce something in your life is not enough. You actually have to let it happen. Let it have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Uh, perfect and complete, it speaks of, of, of the end to which God is growing us and develop us. A better translation might be mature in Christ. That's what he's doing. He's maturing our faith. He's maturing us in Christ. That's what he wants to do through our trials. But there's a sense in which the growth will not happen and the growth will be stunted if I prevent it. If I don't let God do what he's seeking to do. So here's the next thing James shows. He shows that there's growth that comes from letting. There's joy that comes from knowing, but there is this growth that comes from letting. I just, in such a profound three-letter word, let. Like, that three-letter word is actually what's causing most of the problems in a lot of our lives. It's a word of surrender, isn't it? God, I, I know what you want to do through this, but there's this point where you go, I believe. God, would you help my unbelief? Would you help me actually let you do what I know you want to do? That takes some desperation. That takes hitting your head going, I, I, God... You see, I don't want to let you do this. You see what I tend to do. You got to let it work. I, I love it in, uh, I think it's the NIV or NLT or NBC. I'm not sure what translation, but one of the others say this. It says, let it grow. That's like the redeemed frozen song. <laughs> let it grow, let it grow, okay? Let it grow. Let it grow. I just demoed a bunch of bushes in our backyard to fit a trampoline in there for the kids. Um, I feel really bad, too, because the guy that lived there before us, he has been, like, growing those things for, like, 30 years. I was like, yeah, but I got kids. I got trampolines. So just took them down. Um, And they started to grow back again recently all along the fence line. And, um, And my dad has had a heavy influence on my wife. My dad is, like, he's got a whole garden at home. And, like, when he's out of town, we got to go water his plants all right? He's like, those are my children now, Andrew. That's my new kids, okay? And uh, so now Brittany's like, she's on this big green kick. And so lately, I'm like, I'm, the other day I'm going out there, I'm like, I gotta take these bushes out. They're in the way. She goes, what did she say? Let it grow. Okay. Let it grow. Stop chopping it off. Now, how, what, are, what are some ways in our lives, guys, that we don't let it grow? What are some ways, let's think about this, what are some ways that we actually inhibit God from accomplishing what he's seeking to produce in our life? There's things that God wants to grow in us that are not going to be grown any way else. This is the hard part, isn't it? There's not like an alternate course. This is it. Here's a few things. I think the first way is um, instead of letting it go and let God produce what he's doing in my life, what we do is we opt for other gods. Because the God of the universe, um, here's the prerequisite of, of belonging to him and following him. He's the one who's got to be in control. That's hard, isn't it? We love controlling it all. I mean, we're Americans. We get to control our retirement, control our plan. We gotta... But the nature of life, it's, this is, by the way, this is true of all of life, that God is in sovereign control, Right? But to be a Christian is to acknowledge that and live that way and say, God, you're in control. But there's a tendency, because what that allows me to do is surrender control to God, there's a tendency to go to other things that can give you the illusion of control. That's what sin does. And I've noticed this in my own life, that sin, for some reason, sins that I've like, 
I'm like buried. You know what I mean? It's amazing how ma- the magnetic force, how strong it gets when you're suffering. And it's because it's, it's the enemy calling you to an illusion of control. That's what sin can be. Whatever it is that's numbing your pain, whatever it is that's distracting you and causing you to escape, it's like a morphine drip. And you can control. It's something that you can control in the face of being out of control. There's a better way. Thanks be to God, that's not the only thing we have. Thanks be to God that this God, when we wander from him, thanks be to God that he's constantly saying, come back. I'm a much better savior than that. You see, pornography, alcoholism, relationships, whatever your vice may be, whatever the thing filling the gap, it's not that those things don't deliver when you need that control. It's just that in the end, it takes everything from you. Like, there's a reason why there's so many people addicted to pornography. It's not a horrible experience, clearly. But it's deceitful. See, what porn gives us, what drugs give us, what, what that relationship's giving you, that attention that person's giving you, what that, that drink is giving you, is it's giving you a momentary, it's a transaction. I'm going to give you momentary pleasure, but there's going to be long-term pain. You're going to pay for this. And then there's Jesus, guys. Jesus says this, I'm going to give you everything. You don't have to give up. I'm going to give everything. And in the end, it's pleasure forevermore. In the end, there's no disappointment. In the end, there's no sneak attack at the end. And you go, what? It's only good. It's only blessing. Jesus is a better savior. What Jesus is able to do, how Jesus is able to not take, but to give everything and to ultimately and eternally satisfy us. But there's this sense in which we got to let it work. We got to let it work. We got to get our finger off that morphine drip, whatever that may be. We got to trust it to God. You're the God who's in control. Amen? And I think another reason why we don't let it work is um, a lot of this is connected to our cultural tendencies, especially as Americans. You know, we're in the age of instant streaming, Amazon Prime. I got my, gross, my, I got my groceries delivered to my house last week. Anybody else have that? I'm right by Whole Foods. You just go, I want some milk. Milk. What? And this is hard because uh, that whole thing of endurance, God wants to build that in us. But the way that God produces us in it, produces that in us is, is through this, there's one path, and it's this path of patience. It's this path of, of following him and trusting him. It's a journey. Um, I think what we look for a lot of times is we want like a shortcut. I want like a fast pass. So, you know, maybe God's put this big calling on your life. and You're like, man, I want to be a godly husband, a godly wife, or I want to be used by God in a mighty way. And so we just, what we hope is that God just sprinkles some pixie dust, you know. Ah, I can be used by, now God does give us his spirit. He anoints us. But here's how God tends to work throughout history. He takes people where they're at and he brings them on this nice journey of becoming all that he's called them to be, of making them into who he's called them to be. I wrote it down this way. The Christian life isn't a drag race. It's a road trip. It didn't work? Okay, I thought it would maybe work. It's not not just an A to Z straight shot. It's it's buckle in. And trust God for the long haul. It's been called Christianity. It's long obedience in the same direction. Not very sexy, right? Not, Not too appealing in our culture. Like, oh, 
Like you have to commit and follow and trust and wait. Okay, I'm going to go watch Netflix. That's a lot of times what happens in this culture, but this is the process that God is doing. And then lastly, look at this last thing. There is wisdom that comes from asking. This is where we'll close out. I'll invite the band to come up. There is wisdom that comes from asking. He says, God is looking to produce this work in your life so that you can become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You've got to let him work. He's trying to produce something in you. Let it happen. Don't, don't, don't look for the morphine drip. Don't take the shortcut. There's no fast pass. He says, God, God is trying to bring you to the place of lacking nothing. It's like James goes, and speaking of lacking things, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And what, what good news about this God that we're asking? He gives. This is who God is. For God so loved the world that he gives. That he gave. He gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. There's a wisdom that comes from asking. Um, trials have a way, I think, of with that disorientation. I think sometimes it's like we're dizzy. And it's like, which is, where's, what's up? What's left? What's right? And... There's a reason why James is talking about wisdom and trial in the same section, because most of what we need when we're walking through trial is not just knowledge, right? Sometimes it's, not, sometimes it's like, God, what? I need the what? I need the information about why this happened, what's going on. But what's really going to satisfy and soothe our souls in time of suffering is not just knowledge, but it's wisdom, right? You know what I mean? It's like, God, what do I do? What's, the, what's, what's, the, what's the, the thing you're doing in my life? Give me insight. When you think of wisdom, you think of insight. You think of discernment. You think of the ability to see behind what's seen with the naked eye. We need wisdom, especially because trial, we just talk, trial has a way to make us do stupid things. It's amazing what we'll do when we're in a trial that we wouldn't do if we weren't, Right? Because we try to rescue ourselves from our trial. And James knows that. The tendency is, is to go off the rails and to be foolish. And so he says, here's what you need to do. When you're in trial, you need to, listen, if you're lacking wisdom, which you will be if you're in a trial, you need to come to God. Say, God, I need your wisdom. That's the way to go. Posture your heart towards God. Um, the natural tendency in trial is not to look to God for wisdom. The natural tendency is to look within for answers. Um, it's, it's almost natural to try to, when you're in a hardship, this is kind of default, what we, what we initially do is you go, okay, let me internalize my circumstance, right? Let me just mull it over. Let me, okay, and here's what most of us waste our time. We're actually missing on what God's trying to produce with what I've fallen into, because we're looking this way and we're trying to figure out how I got into this situation. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure, often figure our way out. I gotta figure my way out. I gotta, okay, so this is what, now don't get me wrong, sometimes we do bring self-inflicted trials upon our lives. And the, the, the thing we need to do is repent. And God responds with blessing and healing. He restores what's been broken. But most of the time, you're following Jesus, and you end up in a storm. And the question should not be, how did I end up in this boat, in this water, in this storm? It's, God, how do I get through today? How do I still follow you tomorrow? God, help me stop trying to figure my way out of this thing. Help me seek you and look to you for the wisdom. And here's this great promise. When you come to God, you say, God, I need your wisdom. I need your insight. 
this, if you really stop to think about this, this is mind-bending. God hears what we ask him. This is true. And he answers and he gives what we're looking to him for. And it says that he gives it liberally. Some translations say generously. He doesn't just go like, you know, here's a little, here's some wisdom. You know, a couple cents. Here you go. He's looking to pour out his wisdom on our lives. That's the language of the book of Proverbs, right? You read Proverbs, and wisdom is described as a woman on the street saying, come learn from me. Come here. I want to teach you. Not just like a little like tidbit, little fortune cookie, little, okay, you know, good thought. But wisdom is crying out, saying, come learn. Come gain understanding. And what James is saying is just as wisdom is crying out for you, you got to cry out for wisdom. you got to come to God and say, teach me, Lord. Help me understand what you're doing. Give me eyes to see what you're doing. I love this too. He gives it. He gives it liberally. And then look at the next thing. And without reproach. Without reproach. Or another translation says ungrudgingly. Some of you are afraid to lift your head to God. You're refusing to lift your head to God because you're, you feel guilty for the situation. Like you're believing this lie that you have put yourself here. And this is God's punishment on your life. If you're walking through a trial right now that, was, that is the form of God's, I would call it discipline, not punishment. Jesus took the punishment. The Bible says the punishment for our peace was on him. God doesn't punish his children. He disciplines his children, right? Because he loves them. And so, okay, I'm trying to produce something. But even if that's the situation you're in, you shouldn't keep your head down because the Bible says, actually, if that's what's happening, it's because God really loves you. Regardless, he says, look to me. Look to me. Lift your head to me. I'm here. I'm not going gr- to be, gr- I'm not going to be all, all like frustrated with you. Imagine, you know, my son Judah, he's five years old. He's got six questions an hour. And if he's trying to, you know, and sometimes they're just like, dude, I don't know, you know, <laughs> you'll figure it out. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's like, wow, like you're five years old and you're asking that. And if he's going through something, just as a doubt, I'm an imperfect, fallen, sinful man. And just as that, just as, a, as, a, as Jesus says, if, you know, you being evil as dads, you know, I'm a broken man. And even as a broken man, if my son Judah would come to me and say, dad, I'm really I'm having a hard time and. I just don't know what to do, and I feel lost. I feel disoriented. I feel confused. Can, can you help me? Can you guide me? I'm not going to shame him for that. I'd be more upset if he didn't come to me. I'm going to love him. I'm going to be honored that he came to me. That's going to delight my heart that he said, Dad, I want to know what you think. For some of us, that's our problem. Right now, we're going through what we're going through, but we have yet to say, God, what, what do you think? God, who are you and where are you? James closes by saying that God wants to give it to us, but we've got to come to him in faith. That's where he ends this, faith. It's that last point. He says there's, there's a receiving that comes through believing. He, he says that when you ask God, you've got to come in faith. And he says what faith is, he says it's, it's not being double-minded. That's the language he uses. You come to God. That's what trials are producing is they're producing faith. They're revealing faith. But he says when you come to God, he says there's a tendency to go, okay, Lord, I'm going through a hard time. And I need your wisdom, I need your help. But there's a way to go to God for help that's actually not genuine. That's actually just saying the right thing because it's what you've always been taught to say. You ever done this? You ever like walked in, like you really didn't want to help? You're like, oh, is there anything I can do to help? 
please, please don't say yes, you know. It's like, oh, I'm moving this weekend. It's like, oh, I got to go. What is, is Zach always says? I got to take my turtle to the dentist. I can't make it. That's what he's like, you know. There's like kind of like your, your, your lips are saying the right thing, but your heart's far from your mouth. And James says that's being double-minded. It actually means dual loyalty. And so for some of us, maybe that's what we need to evaluate. God is, man, he's trying to give us hope with what we're walking through. He's one of, he wants to lead our eyes to him. He wants, to, he wants to produce something in us that's gonna come through us coming to him. But could it be that the reason why maybe God's not speaking to us is because we're not listening to what he actually wants to say. So, so there's this sense in which God wants to give us. He wants to guide you. But maybe it's that our hands aren't postured like this. God, what do you have to say? Maybe there's other things there. There's other things in your life that you're holding, that you're looking to. And, and it's called me. And so what you got to do is you got to surrender it. Say, Lord, I come to you in faith. I'm not going to be like the waves of the sea, tossed to and fro, trust you, trust you when things are good and then doubt you when things are bad. I'm going to come to you knowing that you're sovereign, knowing that you're in control, knowing that I fail when I try to be, but knowing ultimately that you offer me this great hope that it's going to get really bad in this life, but there's nothing, God. There's nothing that's outside of your control. There's nothing outside of your sovereignty. God, there is nowhere that I can go that you are not with me. You're with me in this, God. So I come to you with open arms and I say, Lord, I'm all yours. Have your way. Do your work. Give me what I need like only you can. Lord, we we need this in our lives. We need We need a a special grace that comes from heaven, a special grace that comes from your spirit that allows us to be more than just people who know things about you. I just think of your yearning in the Old Testament for Israel, your your desire to shepherd your people. And you, you know us, God. Despite what we try to project to other people around us and present, uh, Despite, God, what we think, how awesome we think we might be, Lord, you know us, and deep down, you you really know how much we need you. So I pray you would free us today, even now. Holy Spirit, deliver us and free us from ourselves. Help us release all control. Help us trust you that you might, you might use us, God, that you might use even what we're going through for your glory and your purposes. We surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.